swing and a line drive left field. Ben Benintendi coming on, dives, and did he make the catch? He did. He got it. Here we go. It's time to party. Right here. 3-2. High drive. He crushed it. It's a grand slam. Swing and a miss. Thankfully, it's over. The Red Sox have won the world championship. Welcome to Benny and the Bets podcast. Can you believe it? Here's your host, Terry Cushman. For MLB fans across Red Sox Nation, MLB fans from around the league, and the Yankees fans who can't get enough of hating us, welcome to another episode of the Benny and the Bets podcast covering the Boston Red Sox. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and literally every single platform imaginable. We are downloaded in over 30 countries from across the planet every week according to podtrack.com. The Red Sox just wrapped up a three-game set with the Washington Nationals winning the series two games to three. Two games to one. There are no five-game series in baseball. Anyway, uh, news out of Fenway. The Red Sox have traded Mitch Moreland to the San Diego Padres for infield prospect Hudson Pots. They also acquire outfield prospect Jason Rosario. The Red Sox front office has also engaged in talks with the Tampa Bay Rays and the New York Mets in regards to a possible Christian Vasquez trade, but a deal at this moment on Sunday evening is not imminent. Bobby Dahlbeck also made his big league debut today hitting a home run in his first at-bat. News from around the league, Mike Clevenger is very aggressively being shopped by the Cleveland Indians. There has been discussions with the Chicago White Sox and the Atlanta Braves. Nothing appears to be imminent uh, as far as Clevenger being traded, but the Indians are clearly being very aggressive other trades, I can't get into them all. Uh, you know, Macal Givens has been sent to the San Diego Padres, who completed four trades today, by the way. Uh, the, by far the most aggressive team in MLB, but we will, uh, you know, be covering everything uh, as they unfold. But everything is obviously fluid across the league. Uh, less than 24 hours before the deadline. Once again, I am Terry Cushman coming to you from Lewiston, Maine. Joining us tonight from Saugus, Massachusetts, Al Nahigian. Al, how are you? Can't hear you, Al. Can you hear me now? Yeah, you're a little low. Okay. Can you hear me now? <laughs> I can hear you better. Okay. It's good to be back. Sunday night. Back where I belong. It's good to be back. Good to be back. And your volume is now perfect. This is a live show, folks. This is, you know, this happens. 
Uh, also joining us tonight from Providence, Rhode Island, Charlie Smith, who might be full of piss and vinegar tonight, just guessing, but that's that can happen on this podcast as well. Charlie, how you doing? Oh, you just took the uh, the words right <laughs> out of my mouth. No, I, I'm doing fine. You know, I uh, I was anticipating certain things to happen today. Uh, you know, a little salty that Moreland was the one to go. You know, it, it was kind of another one of those moments where, you know, if anyone's ever seen that movie, uh, Walk the Line, where the father said, the devil took the wrong son. It was kind of like, <laughs> no, the, the Padres took the wrong player. Uh, you know, it's, it's going to be tough to see Moreland go. But uh, otherwise, doing fine. Can't complain. Yeah, that was a great movie. I'm a big country guy, so um, and Joaquin Phoenix and Reese Witherspoon actually sang like they're really singing in in all those parts, and then they recorded uh, an album with the the actual soundtrack. So um, yeah, that was a nice walk the line reference, Charlie. So anyway, hey, I, I live or, to serve. You live to what? I live to serve. Oh, there you go. <laughs> well, uh, I don't know why I'm off my game tonight. Hopefully I don't get traded from this podcast, but uh, we'll get into studs and duds. There will be some trade talks with some, you know, more expanded Moreland Padres talks in there, as well as we'll discuss Vasquez and some other what ifs, but getting into heroes and zeros, which is also called studs and duds. <laughs> Uh, Red Sox finally did win a second series for the year against the defending champs of all teams. So uh, getting into that, Al, you are in the leadoff spot. Who is your stud for the series? Well, before I say the stud, I will say that Charlie and I have been talking behind the scenes. And yes, Terry, you will be traded tomorrow before the deadline. Just wanted to let you know that. And for so for my stud, I am going with the guy that should not be traded and should not be involved in any trade talks whatsoever is Xander Bogarts. Bogarts in the series went six for 11, had five RBIs, two home runs. And it's just the guy that you want to keep around for the future. So Xander Bogarts was a stud against a team full of studs in the Washington Nationals. You know, if Xander was smart, he would have faked an injury and not looked good this series, and maybe there would be less calls coming in, but um, absolutely a great series uh, from Xander. Three for four in the Saturday game. Um, Nice to see, and absolutely a stud for the series. Charlie, your thoughts on Xander? Absolutely spectacular. I mean, when you hit over 500 in a series, you're doing something right. When you hit over 500 in a series where uh, you're not facing uh, a crap house team, uh, you did your job. Um, you can't complain. When you when you crack almost two RBIs a night on the average uh, of that series, you're doing a great job. And Xander Bogarts uh, just raised his value to another level uh, with a six-hit performance over that series. So nothing bad to say about him you know if he goes it's going to be it's going to be really tough if he ends up being the one to go well i mean it'll be a mega haul if it happens but you know i'm still on the side of i hope not i mean you you got to build around someone and i i think bogarts is that guy we all love devers as well so um, I think we're safe and uh, john Heyman. i know we're not a, a john Heyman 
podcasts. You know, none of us are big fans of him, but he did pour a lot of cold water on the idea that Bogarts could be traded. So, um, you know, so just taking that at face value, I, I think we can be semi comfortable. He will stay put. Charlie, your stud for the series. So I actually kind of thought a little bit outside the box with this one. I ended up going with Kevin Plawicki. Uh, I, I actually, I don't, I don't care that he doesn't play every single game. What I do care about as your catcher, you call a good game, and if you don't call a great game, you make up for it by hitting the ball and not just hitting the ball, but stealing bases. So Plawicki didn't, uh, Plawicki didn't um, play in the second game. First game, came off the bench. We got absolutely smoked. Uh, it was not a fun, fun watch. Game two didn't play, and you know you have Vaz behind the dish. Didn't do anything offensively. Kept the Washington Nats to three runs. You still managed to somehow have one guy in their lineup get five hits, but it is Trey Turner, so whatever. And then the third game uh, doesn't call the best game, but the last four and a third innings, the relievers all got it done, and you still went two for four, scored a run, had a couple RBIs, so. Lewecki for my man over there. Three for five, hit 600, pair of singles, a double, and a stolen base. Uh, scored a run. I, I can't ask for anything more. He's been extremely impressive all year, especially with his ability to go to the opposite field. You know, Bogarts was really good at that, you know, a few years ago before the power uptick was just making great contact. And, you know, seeing Sandy Leone almost an automatic out every time. It's nice to see what we're seeing from Ploiecki as a backup catcher. So, Al, thoughts on Ploiecki? I mean, if he's going to be the only catcher going forward, which sounds like, according to you two, that's going to be the case. I mean, that's a guy that you need. You need a guy that's going to call a good game. You need a guy that can handle the pitching staff. So, Ploiecki showed what he can do in the National Series and can't really have too many complaints. Yeah, and you know what? He caught uh, Godley today, and Godley kind of went deeper, a little deeper than he uh, normally does. Um, was one out away from getting out of the fifth inning. Did give up eight hits, but seemed to walk a, a tight rope there. And, um, you know, may, maybe maybe Ploiecki, you know, helped guide him. He, You know, he did give up five earned runs, though, I will say that, but the Red Sox had the benefit of a big lead all day. And part of that was uh, because of my stud for the series, Rafael Devers, who was 5-for-12 on the entire series, uh, had a 4-for-4 four four day-to-day with two home runs, uh, drove in three, uh, as well, and um, also uh, drove in a run in the in the first game, which we got killed in anyway, ten to two on Friday. But um, you know, steadily we're starting to see him get a little more consistent. He did have an zero for four on Saturday, but I think slowly but surely he's kind of getting himself back into uh, a, a good groove and like to see it because I, I hope a lot of these guys can can kind of finish off the season kind of strong so you can feel good going into spring training next season assuming it's going to be a semi-normal year but can't help but be impressed uh with Devers uh Al thoughts on Devers 
Devers had a quote today after the game that said, I just like to swing. If it's in the strike zone, I'm swinging. So you know what? The whole thing with Devers that I have hated about him in the past is when he swings at shitty pitches. And today he actually swung at good pitches. And look at the results. Four for four, two home runs. And when Devers is producing, the Red Sox lineup is that much better. So thank God that Rafi woke up, even if it was just for one game. Charlie, thoughts on Devers? Uh, perfectly agree. I mean, the first two games are kind of a crapshoot. Only had one hit. Uh, but he more than made up for the fact that, um, you know, when, when you have two singles and two home runs and you your offense almost single-handedly wins the game, uh, it's kind of hard to fault to give him any, any issues. And it's really nice to see him coming through. Um, yes, he had another error, and that's been an issue all year. But it feels like as the year has gone on, he's felt more and more comfortable. And if you go 5 for 12 in a series and you have a couple duds, but you can you can really propel the team almost single-handedly with your offense, you really need to depend on the rest of the team for just one win out of those other two games in a three-game series. So um, nothing bad to say about Devers. It's really nice to see him do it. You know, he's still young, he's still a kid, and he's still learning. Um, I'm happy that he's showing some, some signs of uh, trending in the right direction. Absolutely. Um, you know, he, he, him and Xander are going to be the guys that, you know, kind of fuel the production for the month of, of September. So I'm kind of curious to know if, if teams are trying to get Devers. Obviously, it, it would require a, a monster haul, you know. Probably a team would have to give us almost a bigger package for what we gave for for Chris Sale. And not that that has worked out well for the White Sox, at least as far as Kopech goes. But um, but it would be a huge haul, and the Red Sox front office would have a really hard time conveying as to why they did it. But like I said, you know there's a GM out there that just wants to know, what's it going to take? And I'd love to be a fly on the wall, um, you know, during those conversations. Um, honorable mentions for the series. Um, uh, Alex Verdugo, uh, very stud-worthy series. He was 4 for 14, um, had hits in every game, uh, didn't, didn't go deep at all. He did have uh, another outfield assist and currently leads the the uh, majors in outfield assists. I think he's up to seven. So that was a strong suit for Mookie Betts. So it's kind of hilarious that we're getting, you know, almost better defense out there from uh, Verdugo, but certainly an honorable mention. Uh, Kevin Pillar probably played his last game with the Red Sox today, five for 12 uh, on the series. He did hit a home run on Saturday and uh, I guess, oh, well, Bobby Dahlbeck, two for four in his debut. I did mention the home run in the um, in the newsreel, but uh, nice to see there. And then something else to be impressed about. Our starting pitching wasn't great, but the bullpen did not give up a single run on Saturday or Sunday. And I don't know what the hell has gotten into Ryan Brazier, but he got seven outs between the two appearances he had 
only gave up one hit, no earned runs. Uh, Josh Osich also um, got six outs. One was one in a third inning, and then another one was two in a third innings that he appeared in. But he's been a guy who's been hit hard at times. Didn't give a single out. Uh, didn't uh, excuse me. Didn't give up a single run. Uh, you know, throughout the series. And for what it's worth, Josh Taylor um, had a clean inning today. So, um, any thoughts on any of these guys? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm going to start off by saying uh, I'm still really happy that. Uh, the, the guy that no one really knew about was Valdez. He continues to dominate. He struck out three guys in an inning and two thirds on the uh, the second game. So on on Saturday, and he continues to to do great work. You, you see, Darwin's and Hernandez. He struck out both guys. He had uh, he did allow a walk, but I mean those two combined two and a third, five strikeouts. That's disgusting. If that ends up being your eight nine combination for the future, or you mix in brazier in there too uh that's actually pretty insane what i love is that when the red sox got rid of keith hembry and brandon workman there were a lot of people there were a lot of doubters on twitter beat writers were saying oh the red sox just depleted their entire bullpen not really because this bullpen looks better than it did when we had both workman and hembry there you have valdez who's who's really coming to fruition now he's really looking good we already know what Darwin's and Hernandez is. They're, they're taking him very carefully. But it's it's nice to see a level of consistency that I don't feel like we had um, earlier this year. The, the first game of the series, you saw, you know, Springs, unfortunately, didn't have a great, a great day. But everybody else did fine. Taylor did fine in the first game. Um, everybody in game two did phenomenal. I was especially Valdez and Hernandez. Uh, the third game, Taylor came back again and did a great job. Brazier, again, like you mentioned, fantastic job. The, the bullpen looks looks deadly now. And maybe it's just a couple games, but you're facing Washington, which has a high-octane offense. And you made it look like they were facing not a high-octane high offense. So props to them. I, I would also like to say, I, I meant to tweet this earlier, but None of these relievers are going to command a big haul, okay? Whether it's, well, Hernandez would, but I think we can assume he's untouchable. Um, But you got guys like Taylor, Valdez, like you said, whose ERA is under one. Um, I'm drawing blanks. Uh, Austin Bryce, who's pitched well in spots. I wouldn't trade any of these guys because you're not going to get anything significant for them and they do have the upside to be very serviceable for us next year i i think there's a lot more value in simply keeping them and they're cheap you're, you're gonna see teams spending anywhere from 40 to 80 million dollars for relievers this year and i'm fine with these guys i, I think they're trending the right way and I'd like to keep them. I would get rid of Barnes. There's just a lot of mileage on his arm. He did have a clean inning, by the way, but those are fewer and farther between. And the Astros were connected to him, but a, a deal hasn't uh, happened yet. And as well as Brazier's pitching, I'm fine with trading him. Or uh, you know, I don't think they would DFA him or anything, but... 
He's not a guy that I'm too worried about keeping or not keeping at this point because I just don't know when he's going to fall off the cliff again. But Al, any any thoughts on the bullpen or uh, you know some of the other guys in the lineup? I can't really follow what you and Charlie did, so no, I'm good. Let's move on. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, getting into the duds for the series, Al. Who do you have? I have my favorite player on earth, Jackie Bradley Jr., two for 12 series, and he's a guy that I wish this was his last game in a Red Sox uniform, but according to John Heyman, that's not going to happen. So not too happy about that. But yeah, Jackie Bradley, absolute dud at the plate this series. Uh, Charlie, thoughts on um, JBJ? Uh Oh, my God. I don't know if you said JBJ or Baby J. I was like, he's playing with Baby J right now. Uh, two for 12 on the series with, you know, the highlight was it was only three strikeouts. Only struck out 25% of the time. But the bad thing was, you know, one RBI, you're only getting singles. You're you're not really, you're not doing your job. And outside of, of defense, I mean, I think we can get somebody to play pretty good defense and hit the ball a little bit better at a cheaper rate. Um, similar to what Al said, you know, God, do I wish it was his last game? No, but I feel like the time is almost coming up on him as a starter in Boston, um, to where I feel like unless he's willing to, um, unless he's willing to accept a role as like a backup or something else, it, it might be, it might be his time to move on. It's, it's, it's sad, but you know, thank you for the memories you were fantastic in the clutch postseason. It's just not happening this year, and you're you're down to under 250 again. You're trending down again. Uh, as far as Bradley goes, as far as trade rumors, um, as of six hours ago, the Indians and the Giants were both in on him, and the White Sox uh, have been reported. Uh, by I think CBS Sports today as being interested. So um, maybe the Heyman tweet came after. I'm not sure, but I'd be surprised if someone doesn't find a reason to to get him since we're not going to really be able to command a huge ask for him. He is hitting 242. I mean, on paper, that looks okay. And if it's a team that, that values his defense more than anything, um I think I'd still be a little surprised if, you know, if a trade doesn't happen before, uh, you know, 4 p.m. tomorrow. Do you, do you want to chime in one more time, Al? I'm just trying to give you hope, uh, man. I'm just trying to give you hope. <laughs> yeah, there's no, there's no hope. I mean... The thing I don't understand is this, and we'll we'll talk about Christian Vasquez later because I have some thoughts on him. Bradley, he's the to have as a trade asset. He's a plus defender. When he is on hitting-wise, he's a very streaky hitter, but a very good hitter when he gets it going. We saw that in the 2018 ALCS. You can get some good prospects for him. We saw what we got from Mitch Moreland, so... I mean, you could probably get better for Jackie Bradley, so I don't understand why you would keep him through the end of the year and then potentially let him walk in free agency for nothing. But that's just me. Yeah, no, and that's the thing. I mean, and that's why we traded Moreland, because 
we can just bring him back if we want to this winter. Um, so, I mean, it, it, it is what it is. But, all right, um, Charlie, go ahead. You're dud for the series. Oh, my dud is uh, none other than a J.D. Martinez who uh, did as much damage as boy Jackie Bradley Jr., uh, except he upgraded his two singles and got a pair of doubles. The issue was that he struck out almost half the time. Five strikeouts and 12 at-bats. That's not going to do it. Sorry, gentlemen. That's just unacceptable. When you when you look at the math on that, that's 42%. That's pretty damn terrible. Um, he struck out twice in each of the first two games, but for $25 million a year, I'm going to continue hating until this starts turning around. It's ugly as sin, and I have nothing positive to say about it. Al, thoughts on Martinez? He had an off-series. I'm still optimistic that he'll still have a good rest of 2020, and then when he ends up staying, he's going to be just fine in 2021. So I'm not too worried about it. Everybody has an off-series, especially. You broke off there at the last second, Al. Um, I'm frustrated. It was a great one. That's it. Just a great one. Have an off-series. That's it. I'm frustrated that he's basically destroyed his trade value. <laughs> I just like, I mean, is it going to hurt my feelings that he's back next year for what his contract, I think dips under 20 million a year after this season, just barely it's 18 or 19 something. But I just figure, you know, you might've been able to get something decent for him, something better than what you got in the Moreland trade or, or even the Workman trade. And his inconsistency and lack of production at the plate has, you know, has basically eliminated that. And our best hope is that he'll have a monster month in September and that will compel him to either opt out or if he opts in, then maybe maybe that one month might be enough to get something for him in a trade. But you know, he, he if he was hitting off the charts, he'd probably want to be traded. He would probably want to go to a championship contending team like Moreland did because that's just going to increase his value this winter. And if the National League has the DH next year, that's 30 teams that could be in play for him. He didn't opt out last winter because there was only 15 teams in play. You knew the Yankees weren't going to do it because their payroll is through the roof. The Astros as well, you know, their payroll is pretty high, close to the luxury tax. So when you take out those two teams, who is going to want him? You know, maybe the White Sox, maybe the Indians, and definitely not the Indians actually, because they were trying to cut payroll. That's why they traded Kluber. But, um, but yeah, so it's it's frustrating, absolutely frustrating. Um, my uh, dud for the series. This isn't going to be a very entertaining one. Jeffrey Springs just continues to look like crap out of the pen. He came out of the pen after Workman basically, uh, not Workman, uh, 
after uh, Martin Perez basically gave up a dud himself. I'm not going to roast him because he's pitched well lately, but Springs comes in, gives up four hits, three earned runs, uh, only a strikeout. He's one guy that I'm going to look forward to not seeing again after this season ends. Uh, Al, thoughts on Springs? I mean, he's just like one of the other bullpen guys at this point. He's just there. There's not much to him, so it's not surprising that he did crappy in another series. Charlie? Uh, the, the, The bad thing about it is he's had three rough ones, and since his debut performance against New York, because it was kind of hard to forget how bad he did, uh, two of his last three appearances, he's given up three runs. So this might be uh, this might be the end of the road for Springs because if you have you've pitched six times in 2020, and three of those six appearances you've allowed three runs or more, you're not a major league pitcher. You're not even a pitcher. So you either have to figure out what you are, or it's it's not going to happen. Every game that Springs has pitched in, the Red Sox have lost. Not to say that he's the reason, but they don't trust him in any leverage situation. He's just a mop-up guy. That is it. Nothing more. And yeah, he he's, doesn't do a very good mop job either. I mean, he just, you know, he, he knocks the, the mop bucket over and uh, things tend to get worse, but... Uh, some dishonorable mentions uh, for this series. Vasquez only one for seven. I, I, I think you'd like to see better production out of him at the plate to help uh, facilitate the trade. Not that his value isn't that high anyway, but um, still not having, um, you know, he's not on the run that he was on earlier in the season. That's for sure. Uh, Jose Peraza, one for eight on the series. Not great. Uh, uncharacteristically struck out four times. He's not usually a strikeout guy. He usually pops out, lines out, something like that. So um, hopefully he turns it around. Uh, Michael Chavis was one for three in the only game he started in the series. Struck out two times in that game. Not great. Martin Perez gave up eight hits on six earned runs, only struck out one. Weirdly, didn't walk anybody, so they were just hitting him hard at the plate. And uh, Maza didn't look great today. I think that was, what, two and one-third, gave up three earned runs. But uh, any thoughts on on uh, these guys? Uh, Charlie? No, I mean... Oh God, it, it hurts. It hurts because I remember when um, I forget who it was that mentioned that Mazza was coming over from uh, New York, wasn't it? I'm pretty sure he was the guy that they added. They just it, it hasn't been pleasant. And uh, I know that uh, one of the last times that we talked, um, there there was some hope for for Martin Perez as, as far as his being able to 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 carry the the, the load and. Um, he faced a premier team in the Washington Nationals and got absolutely shellacked. Um, his ERA is sitting at almost 4.6. He has a 2-4 and four record. He's had, um, you know, outside of that one good performance against Baltimore and 
yeah, maybe the other one against Tampa Bay. Um, he hasn't been all that good, and I'm I'm like I'm I'm literally giving him like a C minus grade this year uh, because he's just there and he's eating innings, kinda as a starter. I just I don't know. And as far as Maza went, we kind of knew that we weren't sure uh, what the project was going to look like or how good he was going to end up doing. But I mean, it hasn't, it hasn't been pretty. Um, Maza's got an ERA almost at eight. And I mean, yeah, he's 30 years old and we thought maybe change of scenery was going to do well, but both of his last starts have been hogwash. He hasn't gotten it done. So, I mean, we know what the pitching situation looks like in Boston. It's not pretty. It's ugly. Um, and this situation just isn't much better. So, um, I don't know. It's a really tough situation. 2020 is, 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 is like trying to navigate, uh, you know, driving through, the, you know, running through the desert without GPS. Like, you have no idea where you're going. And that's kind of what the starting rotation looks like. It's, it's rough. And it's probably just going to get rougher as we go. Um, Al, any thoughts on the dishonorable mentions? The only one I would say that I have anything to say about is Michael Chavis. He's just a guy that a lot of people were high on, including myself, when he got called up last year. But he's just a guy that he struggles against, you know, guys that are throwing 95-plus, and he chases that high fastball all the time, which I can't stand. And he's a guy I keep getting lower and lower on. Seems like a good guy from what people are saying off the field, but on the field he's just not producing. So I'm starting to get a little more aggravated at him day in and day out. Yeah, I mean, I'd love to see him at the very least rein in the strikeouts, but, you know, hopefully next season with a normal spring training, they can turn him into at least a more serviceable corner infielder. But Bobby Dahlbeck today looked okay, and he does have a a history of of strikeouts throughout the minors, so... um, Hopefully they don't end up being carbon copies of each other, but his presence could uh, force Chavis to uh, hopefully up his game uh, going forward. Uh, Okay, so big news of the day. Mitch Moreland has been traded to the San Diego Padres, who are probably one of the sexiest teams in MLB. Uh, The Dodgers are leading that division, and might be the better team, you know, from top to bottom in all three areas, but the Padres are certainly making their case. It still is a division run, and I wouldn't be shocked if the Padres, you know, go all the way, quite frankly. Uh, That National League side is going to be fun, but they did add a guy today that has some postseason experience, has been a hero in the postseason, specifically Game 4 of the 2018 World Series, uh, Mitch Moreland. Before we get into the prospects we got back, just, um, Al, what what were your thoughts on what Moreland meant to Boston and just your thoughts of him ending up in, in San Diego? I mean, Moreland was a pro's pro. He was a guy that you loved having in the clubhouse. He was a leader. He was well-respected within the clubhouse. I think he was given bottles of wine by his teammates because on Saturday he completed 10 years of Major League service. So that's a testament to how respected and loved he was by his teammates. And it's a situation where 
everybody saw the trade coming. If you've been paying attention, I saw it coming. I predicted it Friday. It was going to happen. And sure enough, it happened. Was it the right move? hundred percent. You get back two prospects. You get guys that apparently both have a lot of pop in their bats, according to Heim Bloom. So you know what? Thanks for the memories, Mitch Moreland. Maybe if your option doesn't get picked up next off season, we can re-sign you to a one-year deal if need be. But otherwise, good luck in San Diego and thanks for the memories and thanks for the postseason heroics. Charlie, thoughts on Moreland? Hard, yeah, hard, hard to top that. Moreland was a, a, a great teammate. Um, this year, you you knew that he was going to be on on the way out just because of how well he'd been doing. He's hitting almost three thirty this year. He's had eight homers, over twenty RBIs. I mean, if this was going to be a full season, he was probably going to have his best career year. He's thirty four years old. Uh, he potentially could come back to Boston, so it's kind of like getting a couple of free prospects from San Diego. I'm not a fan of San Diego at all, so it hurts to see him go there. I can't stand San Diego, actually. I, I hate it. Um, but I know that this is going to be – this is the best move for Boston. We're, we're, we're trying to get – you know, we're trying to stock up on some picks. But Moreland is going to be somebody that will be sorely missed. Um, what Al said was perfectly put. It's kind of hard to top that as well. Yeah, I – he had a great year, and this was probably the first year in Boston where they basically stuck to a strict platoon, you know, where he primarily only did face lefties and hit close to 330, like you said, Charlie. And the pop's always been there. I mean, we've seen it throughout his tenure here. And he's going to go to San Diego. He's probably going to face more than lefties. So, um, you know, his his stats might not be sparkling because he is going to serve as their primary DH. Eric Hosmer, also a gold glove uh, corner infielder, will will remain at first base. But um, but he, he's a guy that you're going to love to have in the month of October. And he could be like their Steve Pierce, the guy they got later in the season. And, and we know what Pierce did for us in 2018. So... So he's going to have probably that effect on them. And, Charlie, I, I agree with you. San Diego, for me, it's a tough team to like, as exciting as they are. I mean, Fernando Tatis is like the face of baseball right now, but they do have Manny Machado. There's no love lost there, uh, you know, among Red Sox fans, even though he did get the final strikeout that got us – our fourth championship this century. Um, just a very hateable guy. Their general manager is AJ Preller is a complete dirtbag. Um, you know, sent us Drew Pomerantz without giving us his full medical report. That didn't really end up being a factor, but it was pretty shady. That same year, he sent a reliever who ended up needing Tommy John right away and was allowed to be returned back to the uh, Padres. He was actually traded to the Marlins. So he went to the Marlins. They discovered he needed Tommy John sent back to, um, you know, San Diego. Preller has been uh, suspended before. Uh, I think it was a 30 day suspension um, due to his shadiness. I, that, and that might've been surrounding the Pomeran situation, but 
this is a guy that I don't like. And the only thing that that kind of tugs at my heart a little is that Don Orsillo is their broadcaster. So it is kind of fun when the Red Sox game ends at, you know, around 10, 10.30 or 11.30 if they're playing the Yankees, um, you know, to flip over to a West Coast game and, and listen to a team like the Padres and Don Orsillo. And, uh, yeah, but not not a very uh, likable team, uh, you know, at least in my perspective. Anyone outside of Boston might might feel differently, but – um, but yeah, so yeah, go ahead, Charlie. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. I mean, Don Rosillo is the only thing keeping me even remotely close to, uh, paying attention to San Diego. Cause I can't stand Preller. I, I, I think he's, I think he's a horrible example and model for the GM role. Um, he's an embarrassment to baseball. He's an embarrassment to San Diego. And honestly, like, I don't know. You know, I think their their manager is, is a bum because he didn't stand behind his superstar um, kid in Fernando Tatis Jr. Like the kid is is just like you said, perfectly put. He's one of the faces of the of the game, if not the face right now. And uh, everything that is wrong with baseball, unfortunately, went against this kid who's still doing everything he possibly can to be good. But Don Rosillo is the reason why I still pay attention to San Diego. And you already touched up on Manny Machado. I can't stand. I can't stand the GM. I think what he did with uh, with Pomerantz was absolutely dirty. I think what they got back in in return was ridiculous. Um, this is just another one where the two prospects, and I, and I think we're going to talk about the two prospects in a little bit. Um, you know, it, it's it's hard. Mitch Moreland will be another reason why I pay attention to the Padres. You know, like I will not boo that man, regardless of what jersey he's wearing. I'm looking forward to October baseball, so we'll you know I'll I'll definitely be getting my you know Mitch Moreland um, fill or whatever. Uh, but let's go ahead and uh, discuss the the prospects. Um, our two stronger co-hosts on. Farm systems, especially Andrew, as a big prospect guru, uh, is on the midweek show. So we'll we'll definitely get his thoughts, and and Jason digs uh, you know into a lot of this as well. But we did get uh, infielder Hudson Potts, who apparently is um, you know a big athletic guy with a lot of pop. His um, minor league stats aren't overly sexy. As I pull them up right now, he um, hasn't played higher than Double uh, A, only a, a, a two sixteen average. Um, so not a lot of consistency there. But maybe maybe High and Bloom uh, thinks that our hitting coach Tim Hires might be able to unlock some of that potential that he you know hasn't quite shown, but. He's he's 22 years old, actually 21. He'll be 22 in October, and I, I can't. There's not a whole lot I can add, but you know, for uh, a platoon uh, first baseman, you know, I guess you know we'll just kind of we'll look at it. But Charlie, what what were your thoughts on uh, Potts? Uh, when it when it came to Potts, um, 
you know, I'm I'm happy that we get another potential, you know, third baseman. He's still 21 years old. My concern is last year when he was when he was playing. Um, the strikeout numbers were a little bit scary. He was striking out. Um, let me see here. I think it was what 30 percent of the time, 32 percent of the time. So almost one out of three at bats was a strikeout. That's not good. Um, he wasn't getting any crazy extra base hits. He had one double. He had one triple. No home runs. Um, but when he was facing, you know, when he was hitting double A, all of a sudden, then the home run ball started happening. The issue was that um, the strikeouts were still way too high. Wasn't walking enough. Was hitting under 230. Um, so it, it could be. It, it remains to be seen what will happen with him. Um, and it begs the question: if he ends up coming up and really showing up and being uh, a great potential hitter, what? happens with um what happens with Devers and then you have Dahlbeck as well like who goes where who gets traded where who ends up taking the DH role when JD's gone because that will happen do you keep all three and then okay cool you have Dahlbeck Chavis Potts who's going at what position and and it's 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 you know if you're into Tetris and trying to figure that thing out then please by all (laughs) means do it but uh it's going to be interesting to see what happens. I, I hope I hope he blossoms. I hope one of the two hit. That's what I truly hope. Al, thoughts? I mean, with Potts, it just seems like he's a big guy that makes a lot of hard contact. Like Charlie said, the, the swings and misses and maybe some more walks would be great. That could make him, you know, more have more upside to be a power threat in the MLB. But, I mean, honestly, it also seems like Excuse me. It also seems like he's versatile because he was drafted as a shortstop and then they were trying to switch him to third base, has decent footwork, decent hands. So, I mean, he could be an intriguing prospect in a couple of years. So just keep an eye on him. Well, I guess my only thoughts with him is you've got Chavis controllable for a while. You have Dahlbeck controllable for a while. We know Casas is going to be a mainstay for the next several years and if they're smart to extend and beyond that you know at, at a you know appropriate time to do it there, there's quite a log jam right now with our infield so it'll be interesting I mean if Potts goes on a tear throughout the minors he'll he'll probably force his way onto the roster Another scenario is maybe he just elevates his value and ends up just being future trade capital for us in another deal. So, um, but you can never have enough talent. And Mookie Betts was a fourth round pick, you know. So let's, you know, let's see. Um, Jason Rosario again. I'm not a prospect guru. Hit 242 in high A, so not super spectacular, but he is a center fielder. He's from the Dominican Republic, uh, born in uh, 1999. He'll be 21 uh, this October. He was apparently acquired through the, uh, the international signing pool. That's how the Red Sox got Bogarts and Devers, and apparently... Um, San Diego thought he was going to be, you know, ha- had a pretty high ceiling with a lot of potential. So 
This is another um, prospect where the Red Sox are hoping to find something. We do not have a lot of outfield depth, so um, it, it might be he might be an easier fit for us uh, in the future. So, um, you know, just another guy we'll be uh, keeping an eye on. Uh, any thoughts on Rosario specifically, uh, Charlie? Yeah, so uh, just kind of what you touched up on, um, this, the same situation with, with Xander Bogarts. He's 20 years old, so he's a little bit younger than uh, Potts. And again, like you mentioned, as far as depth goes for the outfield, do you think anybody that who, who's not a super Red Sox fan could name even three outfielders in the minor league system that are decent? The answer is probably not. So while this kid is only 20 years old, in three to four years, maybe he comes up in three, four years, uh, maybe less. Again, maybe he hits just like Potts. The odds of both hitting, pretty slim. I, I kind of look at this deal similar to, um, you know, Heathcliff Slocum going to Seattle for Jason Veritek and Derek Lowe. You don't really know what you're getting as far as prospects. The Mariners knew what they were getting with Heathcliff Slocum. The Padres know what they're getting with Mitch Moreland. If even one of those two hit, we win this trade. If we don't get one of these two guys to hit, it then perhaps becomes a maybe like a 50-50, whatever, because we could still re-sign him. If both of them bomb, San Diego made out. Um, but what I like about Rosario is that he's an outfielder that isn't afraid to run. This guy can steal bases. Um, can he get faster? Can he take more chances? That's another question to, you know, that's left in the air. He's 6'1", weighs a buck ninety. He could be a speedster. Who knows? Um, I'm curious to see what will happen with the power. Could he be a potential, like, 50-30 guy or 15-30 guy? Maybe hit, like, 270, 280, 15 bombs, 40 stolen bases? Because I would take that. If he could turn into, like, a like a baby Jacoby Ellsbury, I would take that every day that ends in Y. So who knows? The sky is the limit with this young man, too. The MLB prospect site uh, currently lists uh, Jason Rosario as the 16th best prospect in the Red Sox organization, and then Hudson Potts comes in at 20th. So they're not top 10 guys, so you know a great season in the minors can certainly shoot them back up. I certainly can't name three great outfield prospects. I have the list up right in front of me. Um, a guy named Gilbert, Gil, excuse me, Gilberto Jimenez is our fifth-ranked prospect. Um, he's an outfielder, and I have the one guy I have seen a lot on, and I'm sure you guys have as well. Jaron Duran. He checks in at number eight. Seems to have found some power in his swing and might be a guy we could see in the month of September. So um, he's definitely a prospect of interest to me. But any uh, final thoughts on, you know, anything regarding this trade? See what happens uh, in the future with these two prospects. Hopefully, like Charlie said, one of them blows up and becomes an everyday major leaguer and an everyday contributor for the Red Sox. So we'll see what happens. All right. Well, uh, the next guy who could be traded, and this is going to probably infuriate a lot of Red Sox fans, uh, Christian Vasquez has been uh, connected to the Tampa Bay Rays, which is interesting 
That's where Heimblum came from. He built their system, so you know right away he knows exactly who he wants. He doesn't need to do medicals. He doesn't need to do um, scouting or whatever. Uh, the Mets also um, are in play for him. I don't know if anything's going on with Wilson Ramos, or or maybe they just you know they're looking for an upgrade, but. The Mets uh, have been playing better as of late. Um, swept a doubleheader against the Yankees uh, this weekend, um, so we'll we'll see. But I'm thinking the chances of him being traded are pretty high at this point. Uh, Al, your thoughts on Vasquez? I'm going to disagree with you. I'm going to say they're actually very low because the only situation that I can see the Red Sox trading Vasquez is if they're going to make a big push next offseason for JT Real Muto. And you know what? I would love to have Real Muto in a Red Sox uniform. That'd be great because I think he's one of the best catchers in the MLB. But if you get rid of Vasquez and you don't get either a major league ready catcher or a top prospect catcher, are you going to really want to go into 2021 with Kevin Ploiecki as your starting catcher? I know I don't. I'll take Vasquez. I'll take his rocket arm behind the dish. I'll take the fact that, yes, he's hit a little bit of a slump lately, but for the most part, the past couple of years, his offense has been going in the right direction. So I don't understand why people want him gone. If anybody wants him gone, you should want him here unless, like I said, you're going after a guy like Real Muto. Charlie, thoughts on uh, Vasquez? So uh, similar to what Al said, uh, I think it's going to be really hard to pry someone like J.T. Real Muto from Philly, especially considering what they're trying to build there and what they've already got there. Uh, Phillies look like they were going in an all-in manner when they picked up uh, Didi um, after New York didn't want to sign him. You already have Bryce Harper there. You have arguably one of the best catchers in all of baseball there. Uh, there are a lot of uh, a lot of good pieces and good things to be happy about in Philly. Could they be better? Yes. Um, as far as catchers go, would I want Vasquez there? Yes. Do I think that Kevin Plawecki can do it by himself? No. But if there is an opportunity to get an upgraded catcher over Vasquez, who could perhaps throw guys out and um, you know, do a little bit of work offensively without having these almost like these dry spells that are are brutally long. Um, I would be okay sending Vasquez on his way, but there has to be some some kind of insurance policy. What are the Red Sox going to do? Because outside of Vasquez, there's no more Sandy Leone, so you have certain pitchers that really like Leone. What is your contingency plan? Vasquez is liked by the pitchers. Even if he doesn't do the, fan, the, the greatest job calling uh, games, you need to have someone that can do a fantastic job or at least an above-average job. It will not work if you don't. So Vasquez, if he goes, you need to have a backup plan. I've said this before, and, you know, in, in recent shows, and this will probably be the last night I, I talk about it. Well, we are doing a trade deadline show tomorrow, so maybe tomorrow night, but I'm not going to continually harp on this if he remains in the organization. But I have no confidence whatsoever in Vasquez's ability to call games. 
you know, what pitches to call against what hitters. Uh, Chris Sale is a four, has a 461 average with Vasquez catching him. David Price had a 427 average with Christian Vasquez catching him. And Rick Porcello, who kind of sucked on his own at times, regardless of who was catching him, a 496 guy. There's no evidence whatsoever that Christian Vasquez can handle these young prospects coming up, you know, Jay Groom, Tanner Houck, Brian Mata. I think it's very risky for these guys' young careers to have a guy like Vasquez catching him. And his value will never be higher than what it is right now. It's never going to be higher. He's got two years beyond this at relatively cheap money, even for a small market team to absorb. And what you get back for him, maybe it, it it might not meet your standards on what you believe you should get back for him, but it's still going to be a better haul than what we got for Moreland and what we got for Workman. We will get something of value for Vasquez, and I very much want him to be traded um, before tomorrow's deadline. And just a note on Real Muto. He's actually a free agent at the end of the year, so he's gonna. We can get him, you know, if we want to pay twenty-five to thirty million a year for the next five or six. I'm not sure that's something Bloom would do. I know Andrew has mentioned in the past that he thinks will be possibly in play for him, but but I, you know, it's that's unlikely to me. And and getting back to Vasquez. I hope he's gone. We'll have Ploiecki and Jonathan Lucroy for the rest of the year. We do have Connor Wong in the minors right now who hit 28 home runs last year in double-A. Immense upside there. I'm fine with it. I'm fine with Vasquez being shipped. Any thoughts on my hot take? Yeah, I mean, here's here's the thing. If So I thought... I was under the impression that J, uh, JT Realmuto actually had one more year. So I did not know that 2020 was going to be it for him. Um, he is going to command before year 30 a ridiculous contract. And if the Red Sox truly are in rebuild mode, I hate to bust Al's bubble for the second time this year. Uh, I don't think it's going to happen because I don't think the Red Sox want to invest that kind of money in a catcher. And they, ne- I just, I they just never don't. have either. Exactly. They didn't. They didn't do it with Jason Veritek. Uh, name another catcher that was worth the money back before Tech. I mean, Stanley, no. Hatterberg, no. Uh, God, I can't even think of the other ones before them. You know, I just there there weren't really that many great options. Um, so it's just not the place where the Red Sox know they need to spend the money. They need to spend the money in pitching, and you know. As, as well as anybody else, pitching is what wins ball games. It's not behind the plate necessarily. It's a, it's a great piece, but I mean, you think about how good the Cardinals have been with a, a person like Yadier Molina. They've they've done well, but they're not consistently going to the World Series. They're not winning World Series every year. Um, the teams that do really well, I mean, the last twenty years, the Red Sox have done great, and it's not because we've had the best catcher. It's because we've had superior pitching. So, I leave with that. I'm still gonna. I'm gonna die on the hill that I went on. 
you need to keep Vasquez. I don't care what you say, Terry. You need to keep him here unless you're going to get a guy like a real Muto. I know I'm repeating myself, but I'm just talking it into existence because it needs to happen. I know catcher's a small piece, but guess what? That's part of your battery that you need to win baseball games and to control your pitching staff. And if you have a guy that's not serviceable back there or two of them, then you're not going to win very many baseball games, and we're seeing that this year. I know we have Vasquez this year, but trust me, he's going to be a part of the long haul if he survives tomorrow's deadline. He could be. He could be. And if they don't trade him tomorrow, I'm not sure what's going to make him more attractive uh, this winter. I, I could be wrong, and, and I have been, and I will be again. But, um, but yeah, I, I would be shocked. Like If I put a percentage on it right now, I'm 90% sure he's going to be traded and that you know that's you're probably around five or ten percent l and that's totally good or maybe one percent <laughs> um but we'll, we'll see we'll, we'll say five we'll say five five percent fair enough um all right and i think we can all probably agree that there's an extremely high likelihood kevin pilar will not be in tomorrow's lineup might be in another team's lineup but uh Probably won't be in the organization. You're probably right on that. It'll be, it'll be, yeah, I'm with Al. I, I agree with Al for the first time. Except, no, I'm just kidding. I, I agree with Al wholeheartedly on that one because he's been one of your most consistent hitters. He's doing everything that's asked of him, going from what was supposed to be a platoon role to now one of your better hitters. Uh, it's, it's it's on the wall and it's been on the wall for a little bit. Uh, the same thing with um, with what happened with Mitch Moreland. No one thought that Kevin Pillar was going to come in and do what he did. I, I I didn't think so. And he's done nothing less of what was asked of him. He's done only more. So props to him. I hope he goes to a contender. Thank you for your thank you for your time here, even though it was a, a short time. I um if Bradley gets traded tomorrow or just simply isn't re-signed next year, I would love to see Kevin Pillar come back on another one-year deal or or even a two-year deal because we don't have the depth and I, I mean you hear from the guys on Nesson that he was a leader from the moment he walked into that clubhouse and He's been very outspoken about how frustrating the team's, you know, lack of performance has been. And you know, that's a great clubhouse guy. That's a great clubhouse guy. And I wouldn't mind him coming back on a on a similar deal. He's making five million this year. Even if it's a seven or eight million dollar deal, I, I think he's worth bringing back. Might as well. Um, just real quick, we're actually okay on time for once. Um, just to get into the uh, next series uh, before we do wrap. Um, pulling the matchups up right now. Um, <laughs> probably a lot of TBDs because we don't know who's going to be here. We know Nathan Avoldi is on the DL until next, uh, well, this coming Saturday. So um, I really thought he was going to get traded, but... Not not a lot of chatter going on, and the calf injury um, isn't helping. But, yeah, we actually have starters for two out of you the know, three games. 
Oh, go ahead, Charlie. I was going to say, you know, it's funny that you were talking about re-signing Pilar back because you do want to have someone who's got a positive influence, someone that is well-liked on the team. Wouldn't that be interesting if Pilar goes, Moreland go, and both of them end up coming back and signing, you know, decent deals to come back, whether it be one- or two-year deals, and maybe you give them a little extra because of their loyalty and the fact that they were willing to go to a different team, and you get to keep the hauls from those trades. And they all blossom, or even 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 if you get one of each of those trade chips to blossom, how nice would that be to come back to Boston? You're like, yep, we appreciate your help, but we do need to send you on your way in order to get something good. Um, and they came back. Plus, you get four prospects or three prospects because we don't know what Pilar is going to get. I imagine he'll probably he'll net one or two. It it it'd be exactly like Chapman, exactly like the Chapman situation with the Yankees. Those to the Cubs, they get Glaber Torres out of it, and then they re-sign Chapman. That would be ideal. That'd be perfect. Exactly. Yep. I wouldn't complain at all if if Moreland was brought back, but I just think we got a hell of a logjam right now, you know, because I, I mentioned Dahlbeck and Chavis, but there's a possibility you could have Jeter Downs come up next year. Uh, Xander Endeavors are going to be mainstays anyway. So I just, it's tougher for me to kind of wrap my head around Moreland coming back. But if it does happen, I'm not going to complain about it. Um, Getting into uh, the series, this is against Atlanta. I mean, if you're a baseball nerd, that's a fun team to watch because, you know, they do have some explosive offense. Ronald Acuna uh, is back uh, from the DL, so... Uh, we should be seeing plenty of him. Uh, game one, we have Max Freed, who's 5-0 and with a 1-3-5 ERA uh, against Colton Brewer, who has pitched very well uh, for the Red Sox. His ERA, uh, you know, 4 4.57 doesn't look great on paper, but he has had some good, you know, three and four inning uh, appearances as an opener. So, um, I mean... At the very least, we're going to be looking at a future, you know, stud in in Max Fried tomorrow. Any thoughts on that game? I mean, Fried was one of the guys that we talked about earlier this year where he's been one of the only bright spots for Atlanta this year. Uh, You know, with Brewer, that's the thing is you really don't know what you're going to get. You could have a really great game like he had against Baltimore, and I was actually blown away. I was like, oh, my God. Colton Brewer, four innings, ugly on the 70 pitch count, but did great. And then you saw Toronto and he got blown up for four runs, including uh, um, three home runs. So you you don't know what you're going to get with Colton Brewer. Atlanta has a really good player by the name of Ronald Acuna. You might have heard of him. If he goes off, Brewer's not going to last two innings. He won't last three. Um, and three, we already know what he's going to do. He's 5-0 and this year. I think we lost the first game. I, I, I don't have much faith in game one. Probably not game two. I think game three we have it. Uh, game three is uh, Perez coming off of a bad start, but he's facing Robbie Erlin. Admittedly, I'm not too familiar with him, but he does have a 6.00 ERA. Um, so... Yeah, I mean, if Perez is, you know, sharper than what he gave us uh, the other night. What I really want, God, what I really want, I want 
Martin Perez to be able to pitch like he can sing. I mean, dude, you got the pipes, bro. Can, can we just translate that to baseball, please? I mean, I I don't know if you guys watched his story and whatnot, but I got bored and I watched and I was like, you know, this guy's actually got some talent. I wish that would translate on the baseball field, though, because I don't want to have these like stutter dud moments every appearance. You know, one one week is really good, then the next week is just not so good. You know, I want to see a little bit more consistency from this guy. Well, if he looks good against the Braves, then that's a good sign because that that's definitely a team that can have them out of there in the third or fourth inning. Al, uh, any thoughts on the series? I'm just worried about the Braves series. The Braves are young. They're exciting. They're up and coming. I think they're going to take a huge step this year in the playoff. I don't feel good about this year. That's all I'm going to say. That. Yeah, I'm just pulling up the standings right now. Uh, they should be in the lead in the uh, National League East, and they are. Philly is uh, in second place with a perfect 500 record 14 and 14 so uh that race is still pretty open the marlins uh are just one less game back than um philadelphia so so that's a team i mean i I was surprised we won the national series i know they're not having a great year they're actually in last place probably won't be a playoff team but tons of talent on there that could certainly make us look a lot worse than we did but, um, you know, we, we took the series, so I'll enjoy it, you know, and I'm a playoff guy and I was glued to it last year. Atlanta was one of the fun teams to watch and they were up against the Cardinals and Mike Schilt gave one of the most legendary locker room speeches of all time. It's riddled with F-bombs, but you can, you can probably find that on YouTube or, or Twitter, um, yeah, so, uh, one last scan of, uh, MLB news, but nothing, uh, yeah, nothing is brewing with the Red Sox. Let's end it with this though. Andrew Benintendi, is he getting shipped or not? I mean, extremely quiet as far as, you know, what's going on with him. Here's the thing, you know, Benintendi has been having such a rough year. If you're to move Benintendi, knowing uh, just how poor he's been doing this year, what is the expectation of the return? I mean, he's he's just hitting barely over 100 with one RBI, and he struck out 17 times. He has one extra base hit. What on earth is another team going to give him? There's no point to moving him. His value couldn't be any low. I mean, I, I guess it could be a little bit lower, but there's going to be a team possibly that takes a chance on him. I doubt it. Next year, he has um, another another paycheck. 2022, he's arbitration eligible again. He doesn't become a free agent until 2023. So we still have two more years to potentially experiment with him. I honestly feel like the Red Sox, because of where they drafted him, aren't going to let him go until they can see some kind of value first. He's not going anywhere. He's staying in Boston or on the bench, whatever, because he's got no value right now. Well, I guess the the question you need to ask is, can it get worse than even now? I, I don't think so. I don't think it can get much worse unless you're just 
never hitting and never getting any hits, like literally a zero batting average. That's the only way it can get really that much worse. But yeah, Benintendi staying. Unfortunately, the trade value for him is very, very quiet, like we've been saying. So make the best of it. And when he comes back, hopefully he uh, turns it back around. Yeah, I mean, I'm rooting for him. And even even at the start of the season, I would have been extremely hesitant to trade him. But I'm just really concerned that there's some psychological issue going on right now that could literally derail his career. I, You know, Daniel Bard is a pitcher, so it's not extremely relevant. But he went from elite to not even able to play baseball so I, I hope from a offensive standpoint you know Ben Attendee isn't going down that road I think Hein Bloom could could pitch him as a guy that oh he's gonna get it he's gonna get it together he's too talented not to and then get some type of a return I'm not saying that will happen and in fact I, I don't think it will happen but um, I'm just really surprised that all is quiet on him, you know, leading up to tomorrow. Ha- haven't heard a peep in, in several days. So, uh, any- I, I want to ask, yeah, go ahead. I want to ask you guys something. You know, we have, uh, we have the following series left. We have three in Atlanta, three against Atlanta, two against Toronto, followed by, um, uh, actually, excuse me, it's, Five against Toronto. I stand corrected because we've got uh, a double header in there. We have two against Philly. Another, it looks like, double header. Four against Tampa Bay. Three against Miami. Three against New York. And then the, the six that we close out with are three against Baltimore, followed by three at Atlanta. Is this a team that finishes 500 with that line of teams? Or do they finish above or below we're well below 500 i would say i mean those are all playoff caliber teams except for maybe baltimore um i I don't sleep on baltimore i can't sleep on them yeah i mean they could get into the playoffs i think toronto is going to be the team to take off here and if i'm a yankees fan i'm a little worried right now you know they did win a game i think they actually won yesterday and today after ending that seven game skid but that's a team with a lot of injuries a not so great rotation a not so great bullpen i mean chapman blew a save the other night to the mets and it's going to be interesting and toronto is going to be very active they did get taiwan walker who's a very serviceable pitcher and they're going to add one more. So uh, I, I, I think Baltimore ends up finishing fourth regardless, even if it's, you know, with a winning record, albeit. But, um, but the, the, to answer your original question, next month's a brutal month. Even if the Red Sox were in contention for a playoff spot, whether they were just out of it or just – you know, barely hanging on to a spot, I would be very nervous about this lineup of teams that they're going to face. The Because the Sox right now, as they stand, they're 12 and 22. So they're 10 games under 500. You played 34 games. You got, let's see, 34 from 60. You got 26 games. Does this team have the ability to win 
13 games because no. I, I don't I don't think they do. No. I, I, I really don't. I, I honest to God, I'm I'm literally shooting myself because I should have played the lottery. I honest to God think this team will finish 23 and 37. And I said this, I don't know how many weeks ago with Al, 23 and 37, this is going to happen. I'm going to be terrified if I actually call that record right. But I, I, I don't think, I think they'll come close. They'll do better in the second half as opposed to the first half. I just don't think that they will have enough. I also think that because the Red Sox are doing better now than they did before, uh, they're no longer like the, the worst team in baseball. They're, you know, amongst the bottom, but they're not the worst. Um, they still have one of the worst, I think, pitching lines. Uh, I don't think any team in Major League Baseball has let in more runs. I'm sure there are teams that are close, but uh, I mean, we're, we're doing pretty bad. We're still scoring a decent amount of runs. I think we're in the top half. The problem is it's just not consistent. We're not consistent enough. And um, in, in this league, if you're not consistent, you're not going to go anywhere. And when you play in a tough division, again, it's not like, you know, I think it was like the AL Central one year where I think one team won one or two games over two games over 500. Like that's just that's ridiculous. You have to have like 10 to 15 games over 500 if you want to win uh, in the AL East. I don't know. I, I honest I honest to God think that this team is going to finish 23 and 37. I, I picked that originally, and now I, I'm I'm 100% standing behind it. I'm chips all in on 23 and 37. I mean, that's 11 wins, and, you know, I think that's generous because the schedule is going to get tougher, and starting tomorrow night, our team's going to be a lot worse than it is now as well. So, you know, 11 So you think – do you think they'll hit 20? I, I another eight wins. That's probably that would be a good you know benchmark. You know that that's where I'd probably set the over under because it's going to be close to that. I'm going right at 23. Unfortunately, <laughs> I've turned into a pessimistic Red Sox fan this year, and I hate it. But it is what it is. <laughs> yeah. Welcome to my 23 club. Well, you know. If 2021 is normal, and uh, I'm cautiously optimistic, it'll it'll be fairly normal. You know, it, it'll be a better we year than this see. year. Yeah, I, I think we'll we'll at least flirt with a 500 record, and and you know maybe surprise us. Some of our best years happen when the expectations weren't high going in. So. All right, guys, good show. Uh, Charlie, you'll be back with me tomorrow night with Jason Kelly to do a full recap of uh, you know what the Red Sox ended up doing, and maybe we can touch on a couple of the notable uh, MLB wide trades as well. So have a good night, gentlemen. Sure. Take care, guys. Thanks as always. Take care, guys. Episode 212 in the books. Moreland is gone, waiting to see if Vasquez will go. Pilar gone. I think Bradley will go. We didn't really talk about this, whether it was a strong likelihood or not, but I think he's gone. And uh, maybe there'll be a surprise in there. Maybe there'll be something we don't expect, but we'll be back to talk about it. 
tomorrow after the, or today, as I should say, as most of you will be listening to this. And uh, we'll cover everything. So take care.